Welcome to this episode of Inside Publishing, the series where we interview industry experts on everything publishing. In this episode, we're joined by Lindsay Mayhew, who is the Associate Director at The Book Publicist. We discuss what a job in publicity involves, what it's like moving across different departments in publishing, some of Lindsay's favourite PR campaigns, and some really great top tips for anyone looking to get into publishing. Hello, welcome to another episode of Inside Publishing, where I'm joined by Lindsay Mayhew, Associate Director at The Book Publicist, to talk about all things publicity. So welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for joining me today. To get us started, I wondered if you'd give us a bit of background as to how you ended up in the job you are now and how you started off in publishing. Yeah, it's been quite a long journey to get to where I am now, but, uh, you know, an interesting one. So I started out in doing journalism degree and started off as a local reporter, so working for NewsQuest on my local newspaper. And that was really the most fantastic experience for me. I was fortunate enough to do my NCTJ training there. So I became, you know, sort of fully fledged journalist, learnt shorthand, learnt media law, which was super interesting. I have to say this is all before really the internet. Um, It was sort of been (laughs) quite a while ago, but the internet was just sort of coming along with using news online. So it's not like it was. And then after that, I went to work in magazines. So I worked for Future Publishing in Bath which was a dream for me because I absolutely love, I love media, I love magazines, and I've always been a a big magazine hound. So I found myself uh, working in the press office there, which was a really great experience. I worked um, on a load of great titles such as Total Film, The Music Titles, Guitarist, Ember UK, Junior Magazine, What Was, Health and Fitness, which is now Women's Health, loads of different great magazines. And then I ended up moving around that company a bit, working in marketing. And when I finally left that company, I was the group marketing manager for the Women's Lifestyle Portfolio. And that included working on a lot of craft magazines. And I launched magazines such as Molly Makes, which is now called Molly, over 10 years ago. I can't believe how the time has flown. And also The Simple Things, which is an amazing sort of slow pace, slow living magazine, which is still doing really well. Um, although it belongs to another publisher now. So I was at Future and I decided I was doing a lot of social media. So it was really when social media came in for businesses. When I started at Future, you'd go to meetings where people would say, oh, people shouldn't be on social media at work. We shouldn't be using it in the office. And for me, who I guess you could sort of say I was like an early adopter of using it for brands, I was just like, this is the perfect way to get to our audiences. So I really embraced that social media side and I, I did like the Molly Makes campaigns through there. We, you know, we built all the followings for all those new magazines. But I decided to go freelance in 2013, which is scary, a really long time ago now already. And I sort of pitched myself as a sort of a sort of social media, PR, marketing consultant, because I could see there was lots of businesses and brands locally to me in the West Country that really weren't very good at social media and just, you know, people were just really sort of getting into using it. But very quickly, when I sort of did my sort of reach out to my contacts through LinkedIn and people I knew, I was getting asked to work on publishing projects, which was great for me because I'm extremely passionate about publishing and 
you know, that goes for newspapers and magazines, like I said, and also obviously online content, which I did a lot of at Future. Um, I was also looked after a couple of websites there as well. One job I had was working at National Trust, launching their first digital magazine, which was really interesting. And the experiences I'd had at Future about launching magazines, we don't really do this now, but it was seen to be the future back at the time. You know, magazines that you read on your iPad, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it seems so innovative. But now I don't know anyone that does that. <laughs> um, people love a hard copy now. Um, so we launched the first digital magazine at National Trust, which is great. That was a project. So I worked on that when I was freelance. And then I started, you know, getting involved when getting calls from publishers or people I'd worked with before saying, would you be interested in doing some PR on different books we've got coming out? And so really, that sort of really straight away led me back into the publishing industry and ultimately books, which are one of my greatest passions, specifically nonfiction. So nonfiction is my thing. I've been reading nonfiction literally since I, you know, I was a teenager. You know, back in the 90s, we didn't have the Internet, so we couldn't Google what's wrong with me. So I used to pick up a lot of nonfiction books on my local library. So that's always been a passion for me. So. I worked on a load of those. I worked for publishers such as Watkins, which is a MBS and sort of well-being publisher. I worked, as you know, Sophie, at Crimson Publishing, where we worked on travel books, parenting books and lifestyle and education books as well, which is super interesting. So I worked at Crimson in Bath. And then I freelanced with lots of different publishers, everyone from Bookature, help them launch their thread imprint to just lots of different independents. And I think that's been a big theme in my publishing career is working with independent businesses. And then ultimately, after all this time um, being freelance, I was working at the time of lockdown and the pandemic for a mental health publisher in London called Trigger Publishing. And that was all going really well. And Obviously, with a pandemic, I was nervous about being self-employed. And then a job came up to look after their sales and marketing. And I jumped at the chance to do that because I just felt, you know, you had the security mm. in this huge world of the unknown at the time. So I did that. And then during that period, Trigger was bought by another growing independent publisher called Welbeck. And I was sort of moved over into Welbeck where I became marketing manager and stayed there for um, just under a year and don't worry it's nearly over <laughs> and then last year I really wanted to get back into working into PR again and so I'd work with the company the book publicist for over a year as our retained publicity company for Trigger and then onto Welbeck and I was talking to the founder, Ella Davidson, and I was sort of, we were talking about books. And then we, and I just said to her about, you know, my sort of hopes and what I was thinking about doing. And yeah, we had a conversation and we decided that actually she was growing the business. The business was, you know, exactly such a great fit for me. And I got on so well with the team because I knew them already that I started working there as the associate director, which means I look after campaigns, but also you know, working with authors, bringing in new clients, working with Ella and Matt Davidson, um, who's also a director of the business, to in business development. Um, yeah, and that's where I am now. Nice, thank you. That's also interesting and varied, and I think that's quite 
almost common in publishing, I think, to kind of like move around the different departments, kind of find out what you really enjoy doing. So how did you find it moving across from a bit of marketing, a bit of sales to publicity? Did you find it easy or hard? Were the skills kind of transferable? I think it definitely played to my interest of, you know, I I enjoy doing something, but when I'm good at something, I feel I have to move on to the next thing because I love a challenge and I love, I'm very commercially minded. You know, I've always been that person who, you know, I love to think, oh, we can make, you know, bring in revenue for this or, you know, how we, with PR and marketing, okay, it's great getting the coverage, but are we going to see book sales? Are we going to, you know, make more, you know, is Amazon, are we going to get it on an Amazon bestseller list? Is it going to rise up the charts? And it's super exciting to see all that. But ultimately, I was really drawn to sales because of the, you know, being able to get books into bookshops, being able to see the sales and ultimately supporting the business. I, you know, worked in marketing at Future, I worked in PR at Future and in the different roles in PR, social media, brand um, and sales in publishing. And I really love them all. And I love sales and I just love because, I don't, you know, sales to me isn't about all selling anything. It's about relationships. And when I worked at Crimson as the sales and marketing manager working on the travel books and the, you know, education books, it was more about just building relationships with the supply, you know, the buyers. So, you know, I'd go and see um, the buyers at Waterstones, as you know, and Smith's, as well as like the Independents, Stanford's. So, you know, it's just about telling them what you've got and sort of just, you know, pitching it to them and selling it in, as it were. and then. It's great when you work on really great brands. So at Crimson, we worked on Time Out. And that really was a sort of a door opener, wasn't it? To be able to have a conversation if you work on a great brand. And I think that's also something that's good. If, you, if you're working on a brand that you're really passionate about, or even one just that you, you, know, you, you just enjoy working on and you can really get behind. I think it's a really good point about working in sales and publishing, because I remember when, when we first worked together and I think I had those preconceptions about sales being like pushy or trying to get people to like cold calling and hard selling when it's not really like that. Like you say, it's about relationships. And I think it can be when people are looking to get into publishing, those kind of roles can be a bit neglected or not really considered. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important to bring that up. And as you say, you can then start in sales and then move across to marketing, move across to anything really. So. Yeah, yeah, you really can. And I remember when um, I remember when we you first came to join Crimson. And one thing I said to you is, independent publishers are great because independent publishers you can see the whole business. The sales team are over there. The marketing team are over there. The ads team or whoever they are, you know, you, they're not in another building two miles away. Mm. You know, independent publishers generally quite often, in my experience, in in one location. So, you know, you can get chatting to the sales manager while you're having your sandwich at lunchtime and hear more about what they do and then, you know, express an interest and, you know, building relationships internally is really important. Um, mm. But I really, I, you know, you know, one of my big messages is about getting into publishing is so many people just think they want to work in publishing because they want to work in editorial. Yeah. But really, editorial is the least creative place to be in publishing because in editorial, it's a lot about managing manuscripts. It's about editing. It's about just working on other people's work. Whereas if you work in jobs such as publishing, you know, PR, sorry, marketing, 
you're able to you know do your own writing and have your own ideas and, and brief designers it's a much more creative place to be yeah definitely so as you know some of our listeners are keen to get into publishing or are in the early stages of their career so may not know entirely what a job in publicity entails I wondered if you could explain what what publicity is in terms of publishing and sort of what your day-to-day tasks are so publicity from a publishing perspective anyway is really about talking to the media and the press and that might be the national newspapers it might be regional newspapers it could be broadcast, be that BBC Radio uh, Three Counties or BBC Radio Scotland, or it might be talking to Chris Evans' breakfast show. It might be um, pitching people to podcasts, authors to podcasts, which is a really growing, growing area of that and is really successful. And it might be even, you know, getting somebody on TV. You know, the dream is if the author wants to is always get them on somewhere like This Morning or other TV shows that they might like to be on, um, depending on the book. So publicity really is about taking the book and amplifying it through the media. And the way we do that at The Book Publicist is a lot about using experts. So because we work in nonfiction, it's a bit different when you want to work in fiction. But in nonfiction, it's, it's different in that, you know, we'll write a press release about the book, maybe a profile about the author, There'll be a team of people working on that book and then we'll pitch to the media. You know, there'll be a press release, but there's also lots of ideas that come out of the book that we then pitch. And that'll be pitching to newspaper editors, commissioning editors, to radio producers, to people who run podcasts. With the idea is that we want to get our author expert onto that podcast, into that paper, maybe with an article, so that they're able to share their wisdom and essentially give readers of that publication or listeners a taste of the kind of content you can find in the book. So publicity is, it's an interesting one because as a publicist, you're almost working like a freelance journalist because you're writing articles in partnership with an author or extracting from a book and you're then pitching them to a newspaper, let's say, or let's say Metro or an online um, publication. And you're saying, um, you know, I'm going to write you an article about um, six ways to sleep on hot nights during the summer, you know, tips like that, which papers and, you know, generally us consumers of those kind of sites love. And then, you know, if you've got an expert in sleep, then they would um, have a byline and hopefully then a link through to their website or to Amazon or just a mention of whether, you know, you can get their book. So it's really about amplifying them. Authors often think, oh, it's about book sales with PR, but it's more about brand awareness and amplifying that person as a brand. So with with a really good, thorough book campaign, you want marketing and you want PR, like a really good mix. So marketing is very good, as you know, for, you know, digital ads, Amazon ads, you know, pushing people more, you know, for more like clicking through to places. But with um, PR, it's more about raising profiles and making that person the go-to expert in their field so that when a journalist from, say, psychology is working on a feature about I don't know, domestic abuse, they might say, oh, Cathy Press, psycho- uh, psychotherapist, I saw her I saw her book in the Metro this week, or I saw her, heard her talking on, you know, uh, Zoe Ball's radio show. It's, it's about raising profile. And the other reason for that is many of the authors that I work with are also, you know, they're always professionals. So they might be psychotherapists, they might be um, CEOs, they might be leaders in business, they might be, you know, maybe 
experts in say like the MBS field and so when people are looking for that kind of person so they might put into Google give me an expert in um, crystals for example because of all the media coverage we've obtained for that person then they're able to you know amplify and think oh there's someone there um, she's perfect um, and I'll contact her for an expert comment if they're maybe working on a, a story so really PR breeds PR that's what we always think so it, it's really often that I you know I have a story like in say the Daily Mail and then I'll get a call from a radio show saying oh we saw your story in the Daily Mail is Kathy available to talk on that subject today we've just been doing a lot of that with Love Island so her topic is toxic relationships so as a PR person if you've got an expert that you're working with and Love Island comes on TV you're like yes great because it's a great hook especially um, this year I know it's like a gift to me every time I see something really bad I'm like oh great Kathy can comment yeah. <laughs> but it's um it's super interesting actually and so many people have like one angle we've taken there just to give you an idea of a PR angle is you know when parents um have got teenagers perhaps younger teenagers like 13 14 watching Love Island or wanting to watch Love Island parents might be like hey kid you can't watch that no it's too old you know it's the themes are too mm-hmm. mature actually if a parent thinks do you know what let me sit down and watch that show with the kids then we can point out like is that a healthy relationship what do you think of the way you know uh, Luca is treating xxx you know and it opens up conversations so yeah so things like that are hooks and you know it's fun to work on stories about Love Island it's not all you know sort of dry stuff it's really good yeah it does sound really varied and interesting things to work on so Throughout your career history, it seems like you've always been drawn back to publicity in certain ways. So what are your what what does draw you back and what are your favourite parts of the job? Oh, it's a great question. What does draw me back? I feel that's like psychotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, do you know what? I, I honestly think it's my passion for the media. I when I was growing up, I always, you know, I picked up my just 17 religiously every Saturday. I, you know, I've always loved the news. I want, you know, I was a journalist for not a huge amount of time in comparison to my whole career, but I loved being a journalist. I love the news. I love, you know, seeing something break, a breaking story. And I love jumping on it if I've got an expert for that. So that's really what draws me back. And I also really believe I'm very passionate about magazines and I want them to be around forever. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, you know, like everyone who's been listening to this podcast, I use the internet all the time to research stuff, you know, like what is the easiest way to sleep when it's like 35 degrees? You know, that is where all our content comes from these days. Yeah. So that's really why I'm drawn back. The favorite part of getting of a publicist is always getting amazing PR. So <laughs> if you get a really, really good um, win, like say, for example, I pitched to, well, I, you know, this one. So one of the best wins I've ever had is I had an author on the Russell Brand podcast. So for me, that was like, yeah, it was amazing. Got to meet Russell Brand, went to his studio with the author I was working with. And it's really exciting because, you know, meeting Russell Brand is obviously awesome, but it's exciting because you know the level that their book or their expertise is about to be amplified because he had so many listeners. And, you know, even like if you, I always say to authors when I first start working with them, you know, love it or loathe it. The Daily Mail is like the biggest newspaper website in the world. If you want to get a lot of eyeballs on your content, you have to be happy. In theory, people say they don't want to do it, but most people go, that's fine. You need eyeballs. You know, Daily Mail is a great place to get PR. And it's exciting to get an article on there or, you know, work on a 
serialization with the Daily Mail and Female, You Magazine. And I think more and more, you know, it's changed a lot over the years since I've been working in PR. Like we always used to like have to bash the phones and phone up journalists. And I never really sat really well with me. I'm like most PR people. But most people, you know, most people who work in journalism now who I'm contacting are very similar to us. You know, they're women working at home. Many of them have kids. You know, they're sort of juggling a lot of things. And so they just really want, you know, a reliable person coming to them with a good story, perfect copy, an authentic expert. And so it just feels very collaborative. So it's never it's never like the cold calling that we spoke about before with sales. It's a really easy, nice relationship. And then you know, if it's going well, you know, a couple of weeks later, you might hear back from them and say, oh, you're still working with um, Kathy Press, for example. And I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm still working with Kathy. Can you give me a comment about um, red flags in relationships or something like that? So, yeah. yeah. So that's, I think that's what gives me it's a buzz. And I think everyone on the book publicist team would agree. And it's really brilliant, actually, at the book publicist. So we all work from home, which is like a new thing since lockdown, which has worked really well for us. But we use Teams. And it's extremely connected. So I love I love working with my team. Every every single person is lovely. They they've got so much energy. They um, are all brilliant, brilliant, brilliant at their jobs. And as soon as we get a win, we share it on there, and everyone is so happy for each other and celebratory. So, and the different you know when we start working on different kinds of books, like we've been working on um, a book called Flow with Bloomsbury. And it's a different genre to some books we've worked on recently. So it's about nature. It's about grief. It's an incredible book. And, you know, for, for that book, um, our publicist, Jess, um, in the last few weeks has got magazines like the National Geographic Society magazine, oh, wow. which is a magazine that I've never had publicity in before, um, you know, as well as things like The Telegraph, etc. But it's just thinking, actually, when we start working on new magazines, it's great to, to be able to touch in on these publications that... Um, you know, the books fit in. does sound very, very exciting stuff to work on. You mentioned before about how publicity has changed over the years just since you've been working in it. Has the pandemic affected how publicity operates at all? Absolutely. It's changed a lot. I think for the better. As I was saying a moment ago, there are a lot more people working from home, as we know, and that includes journalists. So journalists, right from the start of the pandemic, weren't able to accept so many unsolicited copies of books. The old model was for pub, uh, for publicists, in-house and freelance and agencies like ourselves to send books unsolicited to people we think that might like them. But we have to be really mindful now. You know, people live in houses where you don't want like 200 books a month coming through your letterbox. As exciting as that sounds before you work in publishing, but you soon become quite jaded when you've got piles and piles. Um, and they're obviously always amazing books. But so sending books out like that. So it's a, it is more and more, I think, about building relationships with journalists and having those sort of trusted sources that you think actually that person's really good. Or Lindsay sent me a great book last time. I'm going to, oh, there's her email. Here's her name in my email box. Oh, she's a really trusted contact. She's not someone that would just send me loads of copies of books that I'm just not interested in so that's really affected it I think also you know just from the book industry generally you know books uh bookshops did really well during lockdown and you know Amazon etc and online and the amazing site that I love so much which is bookshop um bookshop.org as well so that's really good but it's just there are less opportunities for books to be in shops uh and so you're always thinking about you know making sure that, you know, they're listed online and linking to that, you know, to those more often. 
The other side of it is events. Before lockdown, obviously, people used to want book launches and go to events. And for anyone that worked outside of London, as I always have, although I've commuted in um, when needed to the office, is events. There are many less events now in publishing. So many of them were taken online in lockdown, as you know, which is brilliant. But really, it was a silver lining for anyone that wasn't London based, because it meant you could go to the uh, launch of, of, of a book or an event about a book from the comfort of your own home. You know, it wasn't going to be at 6pm in Soho, and you'd never be able to make it, it became more realistic. And it was also useful because book events, as fun as they are, they often are just for authors, kind of to say, hey, my book's out, raise a champagne, have your friends and family there. They're not somewhere generally the author journalists go, unless maybe it's celebrity or a well-known author. And so it's taken the pressure off with publicity to not to have to deliver those so much. And it just means people, you know, outside of um, the main cities can, you know, take part in a, in a book launch or an event. And the big other change in that as well about outside of London, which is another area that I've always been really passionate about, is so many people I've come across who are working in publishers, big publishers, even, you know, sort of like big five, have had the opportunity to move out of London and work at home in places like Bristol, in the Cotswolds, in um, different offices that are popping around around the UK for like Hachette, um, you know, Manchester, in Scotland, because you're no longer just stuck not being able to work in publishing if you don't, you know, if you don't live in London or you don't live near a big metropolis. And for young people entering, particularly after graduating or, you know, wanting to get into publishing, it's a real game changer. And I'm really, really pleased for people who are able to do that. Um, So that's good. I think it's a really great result that's happened. And I, I hope it stays that way because I remember when I first graduated, I didn't want to move to London and had that expectation that I would have to just to work in publishing. So I really hope that sticks. Just going back to when you're talking about events being online, do you think that's something that will kind of stay from now on or do you think there's going to be a slow return to in-person events? If I'm honest, I think a return to in-person events because I've seen so many of them popping up. I think hopefully some will stay, but I do think if we get the choice, people will want to do it in person. It's just, yeah, I've seen them already and I just know and I've been invited to so many in London already and I've like, okay, they're not in in the uh, outreach now, but yeah, it depends really. I think... Maybe the online events, you know, if things were like televised, you know, through Zooms and stuff as well, like, you know, the the more kind of the meteor events, not the book launches necessarily, but the events where you'll get kind of getting content and, you know, like the sort of national theatre type shows. Trying yeah. to think of one. Obviously, PR is happening all of the time and there's always book campaigns going on. What's been your favourite one that you've either seen just as a book consumer yourself or your favourite one that you've worked on? I think... The ones I've worked on, favourite ones for those, are always just books which, having worked in independent publishers, we never have the budgets that big publishers have for, you know, you pay to be in places like supermarkets, you pay to be in WH Smiths, that's the reality of it. And so if you can use a PR campaign to promote a book, to amplify a book that is really even struggling to get into an independent bookshop because of, you know, maybe it might be at a wholesaler's like Gardeners, but, you know, people aren't. It's, you know, it's competing all the time with books that are, you know, celebrities, the well-known people. I'm thinking always of nonfiction here, you know, always going up against those people. My favourite campaigns are always those books which do well from a publicity perspective and sales that are unexpected. 
and I've worked on lots of the moment and also pleasing the author and the publisher and you know and the agent as well because it's really collaborative and there's nothing better than contacting an author who you know isn't a you know big name or has massive expectations but the book is brilliant and the book is really super interesting and has great advice to take away and saying hey you're going to be um you know you're gonna be on this big podcast next week or do you want to be in the the guardian you're going to be in the guardian weekend supplement i mean that's just a great feeling for for me to be able to deliver that news and for them because they're just not used to it and it's you know it's the it's their five minutes of fame and it makes them super happy with regards to pr campaigns that i've seen and impressed me i think a lot of it has got to do with podcasts i was so passionate about how podcasts can really sell books and revolutionize a book because over the last say i don't know seven years authors have been really able to take advantage of the platforms that podcasts have and i will you know i'm a big listener to them and let's say for example podcasts like feel better live more with dr rungan chatterjee one of my favorite podcasts that has grown so much and a lot of it has been authors experts and so when i listen to a podcast and say i might listen to an episode uh, with him and he might be talking to someone like Johan Hari for example who wrote a book called Stolen Focus recently and lots of other books and I listen to that and I think oh that's great to hear him on there great publicity for him but then I start to notice him on other podcasts then I start to notice him in the magazines or you know lots of different places and I think it's really clever how podcasts have been able to really amplify the message of what authors are you know doing and their messages really because as well of the the amount of time you can listen to an episode for like so much media these days on social media is two seconds two minutes mm. but podcasts if you're listening to a podcast as hopefully everyone still is tuned in is you've got that person in your ear but you know in your ears for half an hour 45 minutes and with um dr chatterjee's podcast i think it now goes on for like an hour and 20 it used to be much shorter but he likes those sort of long-form conversations as an, as an author and as a publicist, there's no better way to get your expert in front of an, a, a really, really um, specialist audience than talking about that. So I think any campaign that has leveraged podcasts is really good. And also podcast advertising as well, which I was able to do when I worked on Ruby Wax's book at Welbeck. We did a lot of podcast advertising, which was really good. That's definitely a medium that's really shot up in the past like few years, I think, that it is... It's just another way to engage people. And like you say, I think once you've got those listeners, they're always engaged. When you've got those regular subscribers to the podcast, they're, you know they're going to be engaged with the content and listen to the listen to the author or whoever's going to be on it. So, yeah, I think they're really, really great. Also, they make me quite poor podcasts because I just can't stop buying books when I listen to them. So I'm like, ah, oh, that was a really good podcast. Oh, another book about nonfiction book in my basket. <laughs> <laughs> and you will know and many people listening may know is keep an eye out for it on bookbub and then you can get it for 99p <laughs> that, that changed my life when you I know. that to me although i have so many books now that i've bought for 99p from podcasts i'm like must listen to that must listen to that I read that one sorry <laughs> it's because i love audible so much as well but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good tip as i said earlier most of our listeners are keen to get into publishing or their people in the early stages of their career so I just wanted to finish off the podcast by asking what tips you would give to anybody either looking to get into publishing or specifically get into publicity. It can be challenging, as many people who will be listening will have experienced, but don't be disheartened. I've 
met lots of people over the years through the SYP Southwest, through talks and meetings and mentor scheme, which I've been involved in a number of times, who have come from out even outside of publishing, not even with a degree in anything related, who now work in publishing, which is so brilliant to hear. And I absolutely love finding out that when hopefully they let me know and say, oh, I'm now working at X place, which is great. So don't be disheartened. It is competitive, but a lot of industries are. And there are lots of things you can do to prepare yourself so that you look like the ideal candidate or you are the ideal candidate when it comes to applying for a job. And a big part of that is is really just opening yourself up and your mind to the opportunities that are in publishing. So we spoke before about, you know, as great as editorial is and many people want to go down the editorial route, which is great. There are other paths into publishing which may be an easier route in. For example, in publicity, in marketing, in rights, in agenting, in sales, working in a bookstore is another one if you, you've got somewhere where you haven't got a publisher. Because any of this experience obviously will look great on your CV and when you're applying. And I can't emphasize more than enough, particularly if you're at the early stages of your career or career changing, even if you're you know, an older person or, you know, with little experience in that field, but you want to get in it is get some work experience. And again, I know that's so tough sometimes because internships, yes, they should always be paid, but sometimes internships are in London, but there are some great schemes such as um, the Spare Room Project, which over lockdown became called the Spare Zoom Project, which did um, some work with the team there, which is great. And other schemes that I know that other publishers do to help people outside of London who perhaps haven't got a friend or the budget to go and stay in London for a week or a month to be able to do is, you know, try and get that work experience. Because without a shadow of the doubt, whatever job you apply for at a publisher, be that Penguin, be that an independent publisher like Welbeck or a smaller publisher, like, for example, you know, in a, in a region of the UK, someone else will always have more work experience than you. And that might be they've worked in a bookshop, they have, you know, they've contacted their local magazine company, it's another good one, and asked to do a week's work experience. And I think it's a bit of a grey area between internship and work experience. Work experience, I think if you offer your services for a week for free, and, you know, you're doing it with the point of, I want to get that on my CV, I think that's okay not to be paid. Internships, of course, any length of time that you're actually working there, you know, you do need to get paid your expenses, you do need to get paid a, you know, um, a wage there, because you are working for that. But with work experience, don't be afraid to, you know, phone up your local, your local publisher. And for example, if this is one of your skill sets, particularly being a sort of digital native, which a lot of SY people will be, is offering your skills, because many publishers, they would love it if someone just handled their Twitter for a week, or made some content for their, for their Instagram. And if you offer up your skills that you have like that and say, look, I'd love to come, I'd love to, you know, even working from home, if that's how it works, I'd love to create some content for you for a week um, for your social media. You know, would you like to do that? Another idea could be is why don't you approach a publisher that you really love with some examples of social media content that you might like to see on their on their Instagram or on their Twitter or on their LinkedIn? Or perhaps you contact them and say, hey, I've noticed you're not doing much on your LinkedIn here are some examples of posts that I could create for you. It's like a skill swap, you know, you, they they want you to, you you know, help them, but also you really want that experience on your, on your CV. So don't be too sort of, oh, I must get paid for it in the very early stages. 
it's kind of a win-win you know they get something but you get something so when you're applying for that job you know out of the say 50 100 people or whoever's applying for it at least your cv stands out that would definitely be a top tip the other thing mentioning linkedin i can't emphasize enough how i think important linkedin is i love linkedin i use it every day for work stuff i connect with connected with all the people I've ever worked with, be that at future publishing years ago or old newspapers. When you've worked with someone, ask them for an endorsement on there. You know, re, you know that is your living, breathing CV. And it's a great place to check in with people. So again, if you saw a company you want to work with, connect with their marketing manager and say, hey, I'd love to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to enter the industry. Do you have any tips or, you know, any work experience, any internships coming up? And it, the thing is, just to just to be as kind of brief as possible, remember they're very busy and you want to be as helpful to them without seeming like, oh, they've got to reply to a massive long email. And the other big thing is, and I did forget to mention, Sophie, sorry, that I also used to teach, I still do at Bath Spa on the publishing um, degree, is one thing I always say to students when we're working on journalism projects or publishing projects is, if someone's helped you, say thank you. And it might seem so obvious, but so time and again, when you're busy or you're writing a dissertation or you're doing a project, you're on deadline, go back to that person and say, I just wanted to let you know, really appreciate those three tips you gave me, or it's really helped me get this job. Because people, you know, people give up their time, they don't have to. And it's just to remember that it's uh, an opportunity to also build a contact for the future and, you know, not burn bridges, because you never know if they might be your future employer. That's great. Those are some really good tips. I think being proactive and reaching out to people is good because I just find that people in publishing are friendly they want to help and they want to help when they can but if you don't approach them they don't know that you'd like some help so yeah yeah I think this is some great tips also another one is um and this is one of your best things Sophie so I've told you this before you wrote a great covering letter when you applied to Crimson and one of the things that really stood out for me was I don't want to move to London to work in publishing (laughs) So obviously connect with, with everything else you had on your CV and everything else you said about your passion and stuff. You know, it was a real, you know, be really specific when you're applying for a publisher because, or you're contacting them and you can contact them. You don't have to wait for a job to come up. Contact them and say, look, would you keep my, could you keep my CV on file? I'd love to know more, but really make it specific. And something I used to see all the time at Crimson, where I just used to recruit quite a lot, you know, different roles and, and at Trigger is, Dear Lindsay Mayhew, like, would you ever contact someone on an email or a letter saying that? It's like, be yourself. Because yeah. I want to employ someone I'm going to get on with. I don't want to employ someone I'm going to be sat next to for the next three years thinking that they're, you know, they're just not you know, the sort of person I can gel with. Be yourself. Show, you know, If you love a certain genre, talk about it. Um, try and be as truthful as possible. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you love, you know, say you want to work in nonfiction, but you're really passionate about crime or thrillers or historical fiction, tell me, because I might be too. And then I can say, oh, this, you know, this is going to be my colleague for the next three years. Great. Can't wait to sit next to them and talk about this, you know, and, and, and share stuff. So be human, really, is, I guess, the message. Because the person you're writing to is human as well. So, yeah. And you've got to make it stand out because otherwise you do get a lot of really dry CVs and yeah. things. Actually, one thing I will just actually add at the end there as well is so we recruited recently at the book publicist for a senior campaigns exec role, which is absolutely something someone from the SYP could apply for, with particularly this role had a little bit of experience. And I just want to say that 
I hope you'd be really pleased to hear people that are listening. We had very few initial responses to that application. And there are jobs out there that you might not think, you know, you might think there's 100 applications, but apply for them because they're out there, you know, and we were super lucky to find an amazing new person to come and join us. But it took some time to find that person. And, you know, the jobs are out there. But, you know, for example, sign up to the IPG newsletter list, sign up to the bookseller email. Uh, Book Brunch is also another great one. Understand what's going on in the industry. Um, And also the other one I must give a shout out to is Book Machine as well, which is also fantastic for finding jobs. And Laura and her team are brilliant and they've got they're very inclusive too. So there's always jobs in there. Laura's always sharing them on LinkedIn and on social media. So even if you're just a, a follower on LinkedIn, it's worth following all this sort of stuff. But, you know, after this, I hope lots of people connect with me because it's great to know people that want to be in the industry because when there's a job coming up, you told me you want a job. I can either show you something I might have come across or maybe you might come and work at the book publishers in the future. Great. Thank you, Lindsay. I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks for listening to Inside Publishing. I've been your host, Sophie Shepherd, And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can find more via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.